0: Jordan, I feel like you would probably not enjoy the experience of a strip club by that logic.
1: <laughs> you know, Sam, <laughs> you know what, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you're wrong on that one. Um,
2: <laughs>
1: I have found a very unique way to enjoy the strip club. Um, I've had some good times there, uh, so uh, the I can't, I, I can't have. hate, I can't hate, I can't hate.
2: Welcome to the Technically Diverse Podcast, featuring the Quadcast Crew.
1: Okay, it's that time. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Technically Diverse Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan. Co-hosting the pod is our resident adrenaline junkie, Ruby.
3: Hi, everyone. Live from Goa.
1: (laughs) Behind the scenes, working magic is Uncle Mike. Remember, if it ain't Mike, it
2: ain't right. Hey, how's it going today?
1: And keeping us in line and doling out our law and order is our producer, Peaches, a.k.a. Roz. Hi. Okay, so today we are joined by another special guest, um, Miss Samantha Sun. She is an artist, a dancer, a stripper, a circus performer, and she holds a B.A. in fine art, and she's currently pursuing her master's in social innovation and entrepreneurship. Thank you for being on the show, Sam.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So Sam I've 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 said before uh I've, I've told my the quadcast crew here how I've wanted to have you on the show. We met a while back while recreational boxing. Sam instantly stood out to me as someone who was a little different because she showed up to a boxing class with full makeup on and wearing a leotard. And <laughs> did I and and I'll I'll never forget because you were wearing makeup and a leotard. So Sam came waltzing into our gym and i was like who is this who's this lady
0: oh my god i had no idea that's how you thought of me i literally just post my ass on instagram i had no idea that this was having such an effect (laughs) (laughs) actually
1: you you, you see you see what you see how life can have unintended consequences you post a picture of your ass and then somebody gets enlightened somehow through the other content that you have there as well and i would have to say generally you're such a good instagram follow like before i follow anybody on instagram i make sure to look at their profile to to make sure that they're posting enough, that there's content that's cool, and you definitely, like Roz, it delivered on that. So happy <laughs> to. Well, Roz, I saw your eyebrows go up there.
2: Roz, are you missing? The- <laughs> Am I missing out
4: like, on something? <laughs> I'm just gonna 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 clarify this right now. <laughs> My Instagram is a little bit different. <laughs> okay, but for some reason Jordan has been on my ass nonstop.
2: Whoa, whoa!
4: I would love to edit what I just said out, Mike, and redo that. That's too so
2: good to edit, edit out.
4: Jordan is constantly bothering me about my very modest poses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes modest okay. i'm
0: gonna i'm gonna stalk you later See, okay you can totally to check job. it out you're gonna be
4: so disappointed there's nothing interesting no
1: <laughs> okay. so sam yes you know some people might consider you to be scary you know you're I am you're aware you're this well-educated you know talented young woman who's breaking down barriers and you know really pushing back against accepted norms um you know you're doing this while giving back and kind of drawing awareness to like overlooked causes, right? You know, from my, you know, growing up and from what I've observed with pop culture, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's made it pretty clear to me that um, you know, and I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing this, this is just, you know, a stereotype that I've seen, that, you know, sex workers are generally regard, regarded as dumb, lazy, faceless whores who are addicted to drugs, have daddy issues, and you know are generally CD reprobates. Um, you know, I find that that broad stereotype doesn't align with you. So, you know, could it be that sex workers are just ordinary professionals who are making a living providing services to a market with an unquenchable thirst?
0: I mean, yes. But then also, like, I like I'm not like denying that we're a bunch of seedy, disgusting reprobates like (laughs) we definitely are. (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I also like um, I would like to challenge the idea that somehow having drug addiction and daddy issues isn't already inherently a part of you know women's kind of lives in general and it's not because we do sex work it's because men mistreat us so like that's not that's like lawyers have those issues too right but you never you never go oh how dare this lawyer have a coke habit (laughs) you just let them have their lives because you respect what they do it just comes down to people thinking sex work is somehow a a like marker of your morality and it allows people to pass judgment on you for no real rational reason um but yeah that's kind of what it is it's not like a it's just not a monolith I just don't think you can like look at people who do sex work and think like oh they must be this way or that way because like you all whether you know it or not you have all met and know very well somebody who does sex work and if you think you don't, it's because they don't feel comfortable enough telling you.
2: Mm. I can't deny it. I guess, yeah.
1: yeah, I can't. I can't <laughs> deny that either. Like that, yeah, I, I would yeah. be saying a bold-faced lie if I yeah, if yeah. I said that I didn't know any other ah. people that you know did sex work. That'd be a lie. So I'm not. I'm not about to do that. I'm not a liar. Um, Mike's not a liar um well i mean <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah. so sam why why do you think people are so like generally uptight about sex work and like talking about it like you know i i know it's kind of a broad question to put on there but what do what, do you, what have you seen
0: um i mean it's a mix between the fact that we live in like obviously like a patriarchal society and so the second the second anybody sees women going hey hmm I get objectified what if I just profit off of it suddenly everybody's like oh no you can't do that that's not that's not okay <laughs> you are supposed to you are supposed to stand down and just take it um, and then there's like the fact that we also live in like quite a we like to think we live in secular society but so much of our policy and our legislation is informed by what I mean just Christian pur- puritanical values. Um, and so, because we organize society like that and we've been taught to moralize like that, the idea that you would sin, so just a sodomite for money, like <laughs> is unthinkable <laughs> to some people. Um, and then it's like the value that we, the weird kind of moralizing again that we assign to sex, which is very, again, irrational. But the idea that you could debase something that we, as a society seem to hold at like a sacred value as just a service or a product is again, really unthinkable to some people. But like, if you just use like some basic critical thought, you can sort of, you can like navigate that kind of thing and just break out of that weird like thought process and be like, Oh, okay, well, this is something that just people something do. And like, it's not a marker of your morality or your, you know, (laughs) how ethical you are. And it's fine, and we should just let people sell pussy for money and post their pictures of their assholes on Instagram. Like, we should just let them do that.
1: <laughs> so we're, we're we're free after all. So you know, with anything should go. Um, it is. It, I've heard that stripping is about female empowerment. I hear that a lot. Like that narrative. It's about empowerment. Um, you know, women taking control of their bodies. What What are your thoughts on that?
0: It's about money. I get. I mean, I. I resent the idea that people have this sort of, again, people, a certain group of people think like to misconstrue sex work as if it was about empowerment, but in like an embodied way. And so they think that empowerment comes from like, overcoming your trauma about your body or like feeling sexy after you've been called fat your whole life like that is not what empowerment is but I literally do not care about that kind of empowerment empowerment is about having access to justice and your rights and money nobody goes into sex work for trying to like I'm trying to like be empowered that's not why people do it they do it for money so I mean that is like a broader question about how we frame certain things especially about marginalized communities as being this gentrified white middle-class pilates version of what it actually is <laughs> um yeah that's my long that's a long answer
1: <laughs> wow Roz, I, did i see that you had your hand up did you want to jump in here
4: yeah um i wanted to say that that i, I think that what you're saying is very very accurate the, the people that I do know that are like strippers are involved in sex work, it, it really is the main goal of it is to have upward mobility that you may not have had otherwise. A lot of the times people don't have access to getting the, those jobs that are high paying jobs, sometimes they're working minimum wage. And that's obviously not enough for anything, if mm. any, in basically any country. I don't know why we we, we haven't raised it. That's a whole nother topic. But um, on top of that, this is a, a way that women have found they've been able to make money, and a lot of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Uncle Mike.
2: Yeah. So I was listening to what you were saying, and um, what I what I was thinking, it brought up um, you know questions in my head. Do you think? part of how we think about it today is what was what came from the past so over time you know it it, to me it seems to be a little bit more accepted today than it was in the past and then so people who still have that thought of oh this is not an accepted um um, career or or job it's it's more on how it was from the past and not now you see what i'm saying
0: Um, I guess, yes and no, because I and and when I do a lot of my activism, sometimes I get quite like um, pessimistic about things and it's hard not to when Mm -hmm. you are dealing with issues with marginalized communities. And so sometimes I feel like the only answer is that some the old heads just need to fucking die and then we will be fine. Right, like that's sometimes how I feel about yeah. it, right? Cause yeah. like, it doesn't feel like I can change the minds of people who are like fucking 50. I'm just like, y'all y'all just need to die, hey, hey, right? Hey, hey. Sorry,
2: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, Mike, no, come <laughs> on, on Mike. Oh, come on, man. You're not Mike going is
4: anything. on your side.
0: <laughs> but I,
2: here, so. I don't
0: actually think necessarily that age matters because there's plenty of people who are my age who are ignorant as fuck who Mm -hmm. have like a vested interest in upholding certain systems of oppression Mm -hmm. and so and like it's not just like oh their vested interest is like oh i feel better about myself no it's like their paycheck depends on them upholding and believing certain things so Mm -hmm. i i think like everything else There's a whole history behind why we have certain misconceptions about certain kinds of people or the industry in general. Um, And that we don't sort of look at that history sort of critically is part of the reason why it just keeps like perpetuating and why we haven't enacted anything to do with harm reduction meaningfully globally about sex work. and yeah, yeah, it is like a historical thing. I don't think people really like, I'm trying to think of like a good example of. Okay, so like um, people don't really look at 1970s or 80s uh, feminism that critically, right? Like they sort of, they don't, they sort of see that sort of time within American porn, for example, mm. as a catalyst for what ended up being criminalization the complete criminalization of prostitution in the u.s what they don't see right is that those feminists who had a vested interest in an anti-pornography law were basically losing that war in the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s and then in the 90s started coal a coalition with uh evangelical republicans and like fucking like white nationalists and conservatives and i'm like if you have to team up with those people maybe your fight ain't right and it sounds like donald trump to me well yeah and so these like these like like sort of radical feminists who were like anti-sex work basically were like we don't have a platform to stand on so they they had a coalition with um with them lot and managed to under the guise of stopping trafficking manage to criminalize prostitution altogether and that's like that is the history and that's like sort of where sort of currently we stand with um american prostitution laws and how we see um how we see sex work but all of that sort of ulterior motive stuff we don't really talk about like you don't talk about how like oh actually these feminists don't have anybody's best interest at heart they are here for their own political um their own political like sort of needs Mm -hmm. and wants. They have altered their motives. And they were willing to team up with like evil people to do
1: it. (laughs) So Sam, I I know you've done some research and before we kind of jump in there, I wanna just back up for our audience Mm. because I feel that it's important that we kind of can like you help us define what a sex worker is because even when Uncle Mike and I were talking, like we 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 were trying to figure out like what that encapsulates. Could could you help us kind of define that? So
0: Sex work is kind of like a very broad umbrella term for anybody who is using their erotic capital for financial gain. Um, And it kind of depends on the person, like not everybody likes the label sex work. A lot of strippers don't think they're sex workers because they don't actually touch, for example, they just dance. Mm -hmm. I would I would argue otherwise I think strippers are sex workers because of lots of uh, listen if you're paying me for a lap dance and you want to touch my butt and you're paying me to touch my I don't what what else would you call that (laughs) (laughs) but it's up to the person and I believe in like people's um, sort of individual autonomy to decide how they want to be seen so I never I never like impose that label on anybody You have people, for example, like sugar babies might not consider themselves sex workers because they're in relationships. But I'm like, well, you're a glorified escort. Like you wouldn't be sleeping with this like 50 something year old, like a hey, hey, hey. pedophile. No, 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 no.
1: It's okay. No, Sorry, right. you just it's happen
0: okay. to be in the age group. It's okay, Uncle
1: Mike's a little sensitive today. It's, you know, we're just getting past it's daylight savings time. He's a little sensitive. Yeah.
0: It's okay, but yeah, like they might not consider themselves to be sex workers. But I'm like, what else would you call what you do? You sleep with this man for money. You might, you might either be getting an allowance or you might actually be trying to get into his will. I don't know. What else would you call that? But they. Again, they might not consider themselves sex workers. People have in their brains like, oh, like tricks on the street, like that's what sex work is. And I'm like, mm. it's a lot of things. Like
1: I'm, I'm glad you brought that up cuz yeah. Mike and I were that's the kind of direction we were going in and then we were like, wait a second, it seems a little broader than that. That that can't be right.
0: It's a that's a it's a lot broader. And it really depends on the person you ask. I would say maybe instead of assuming somebody is a sex worker, probably just asking them like, do you identify as one? Is the the Nicest way to approach that.
1: So, Sam, you you also brought up strippers. I know you've done work with the East London Strippers Collective and Life Drawing. Um, One of the things that we have kind of highlighted throughout the pandemic is the kind of the way technology has kind of enabled different businesses to thrive online. And, um, you know, even us, like we've been able to launch and do this podcast without getting together, really. Um, So can you talk about how technology is kind of, you know, enabled sex work to continue maybe in a, a safe and positive manner during the pandemic?
0: So, I mean, sex workers kind of, I, in my opinion, pioneered the internet as far as we know it. They've just been kicked off platforms as they become popularized. So if you think about sites like Patreon, um, uh, even Instagram, Snapchat, snap of course, Snapchat was like made mm. for strippers and sex workers. Um, but the internet sort of broadly speaking, even before the pandemic, allowed for people to advocate on their own and make money on their own without the intervention of people like agencies or pimps, because if you can just put a Craigslist ad up for yourself, you, what the fuck do you need an agency for? You just do that for yourself. And you, st- you, you are able to like, you know, not have to give away um, 30 to 50% of your income to somebody else.
1: 30 to 50%. Wow. Yeah. That That's, is a steep cut.
0: That is, a, that is on average. Um, throughout the pandemic, I don't know if you sort of know about this one site called OnlyFans, but that got really popular. Only,
1: OnlyFans, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I've heard of
3: that one. Ross, Only have you fans. heard of OnlyFans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, who are you kidding? Jordan Jordan has an OnlyFans account.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, it's okay. It's very over. It's very very oversaturated right now. And currently, it's. I would. I would. I would argue that maybe getting into it now is. The best thing you could get of it is maybe some pocket money. It's a full-time job, but it's basically allowing people to have a subscription service to their homemade porn, right? Um, They take 20%. That's a lot.
2: What, what, to, what do you're not, saying, to do what? It, it sounds a lot like the record industry. So you have the yeah. artists that are out there right now, and they're making their own music, and then they're doing the distribution themselves. Actually, exactly. Through, through the same through the same means
0: exactly and i'm like i'm not saying all agencies or um yeah are bad for example like i i don't i actually think the idea of an agency if they could be held to like an ethical standard um and held accountable for their fucking fascist behavior would be great because the thing the thing with lots of artists and sex workers is it's like herding cats these people are not Mm -hmm. used to collaborating because they're very sort of like free spirits and they work on their own. So managing them is really difficult. It's part of what makes activism around sex work really difficult because like because they're not a monolith, because they all work very differently and they're very used to working in their own way, organizing amongst them is tough. They also have a lot of like marginalization. So people have kids, people are suffering like racial abuse on a regular fucking basis. Like you can't ask people like that to take on so much because they just they don't have that. Whereas white feminists who hate us are great at organizing and creating websites and creating like mm-hmm. legal documents on why we shouldn't exist. So, it, yeah. So the idea of an agency would be great if they weren't exploitative, but they mostly are. And I'm not saying all sex workers also don't want to pay like a um, commission. Like I would happily give away twenty percent if my agency actually was giving me quality yeah. work. You
1: want a value. Value
0: add. Yeah, quality work. They were, you know, doing doing my marketing really, really well. But they don't. So fuck them.
2: Ross. <laughs> um,
4: I wanted to add I I think that the only place in uh, the US that has legal sex work is Nevada. And yes. with and, and in those places, like it's only or in Nevada, it's only legal to be a sex worker in a few different I can't remember what they're called. They're not called brothels, brothels, but like in that context. Yeah, but yeah. basically what it is, it, it's like an, a building that 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 has those licenses that were grandfathered in from when it was legal prior to the '70s or, or whenever it was that it went illegal. And uh, I've I've heard that in those places, you lose, you have to pay about fifty percent of your income yeah. to owners in order for you to to have to keep your like room or, or whatever it is there.
0: So here is my, I guess, like the point of contention that people, like the layman would not understand, like people think I want to legalize sex. Work. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to decriminalize it. I don't want anybody law enforcement licensing councils, I don't want any of them involved in how I can make my money. And what I should have to be able to pay them in order to make my money. I just do not want to be over-policed. I don't want law enforcement involved at all. The only kind of involvement I want from government agencies or, and or charities otherwise is if they are, you know, enacting in harm reduction. So I don't like treating this as if it's a criminal issue will never fix anything. Because, I mean, we all know this and we've been knowing this it has to be treated as a public health issue. And so what actually helps people sort of move away from sex work and become safer or do it in a way that gets them, you know, not fucking killed <laughs> is having access to healthcare services, constant STD and STI checks, um, having like access to like kind of not really law enforcement, but like welfare checks that don't actually get the police involved, for example.
1: Yeah.
0: Like that, that is kind of what we need and if something is criminalized you can't have those services but then when something is legalized what ends up happening is that thing in nevada or for example in ontario you can't be a stripper in a club without a license you have to pay fucking ontario 300 dollars a year just to do this and i'm like what does this license get me nothing
1: just access and then you still get 50 percent of your wages taken
0: and so it's like, so I've paid you. You and every other stripper has given you three hundred to four hundred dollars per year for this license. What do we get out of it? What What are the protections you give us? Zero. There is no recourse to workers' rights. There's no sort of like union or tribunal you can go to to like complain about clubs. There's nothing.
2: Wow. Zero. Is that license you get? Is there any sort of criteria that you have to get to qualify for it, or are you just go in and say, "Here, give me a license and you pay your money."
0: It's in my opinion, it's another sort of roundabout way for government agencies yes. to have access to your ID.
2: Of course, yes, to yeah. your identify ID. you.
0: So what? So that what that means, right? So it means that people who aren't who aren't nineteen can't do this. That's a separate. I think this uh, is a separate okay. question of like underage people and whether or not underage people are capable of being, you know, consenting to sex work. But I mean, we can have that conversation and debate all we want. But the reality is, there are people who are. 14 to 16, doing this for survival reasons. And, to, and so, what happens when you have this legalized system of trying to bureaucratize this work is you've, you've cut them out. You've cut those people out of an industry that requires them to, that would have like more distance from the explicit content because they're stripping and not just doing sex work, like full service. Mm-hmm. Now, you've cut them out of that pie. You've also completely cut out people who are um, undocumented migrants who, for whatever reason, cannot engage in c- civilian vanilla work because of their migrant status, because of maybe their hold on the English language, and now you've cut them out of stripping. So what are they going to do? They go into more dangerous versions of sex work because everyone has to eat and survive. Wow. So that's what that license does, right? It's, it's, To me, it's just, it's like gatekeeping, really, is what it is. It's telling people that you have to have a certain level of capital already just to engage in this industry which is bullshit
1: so how how has your work with with the east London strippers club kind of turned that on its head because i i've seen that um you know you're you've gone online now and you know things have kind of are are seemingly changing can you can you jump into that a little bit
0: um so i work with i am I am the world's brokest, like director of a company. <laughs> we are. I'm on the board of directors. We incorporated, like, on, in June. We've. I mean, we've been doing stuff for like six years, but like, like again, I told you, organizing a bunch of strippers, like organizing cats, impossible. So we <laughs> finally incorporated. Nice. What we do, and uh, other directors and other members of our collective might give you a different answer, um, but how I see what we do is repackaging our erotic capital in a way that allows us to work sort of above the surface of legality. So instead of trying to have a resource for strippers to just keep stripping, we try to organize and create events and spaces that allow us to still engage in like the aesthetic and the um, like the work of sex work without having to come into contact with things like licensing issues, like bylaws, um, you know like so one of the things we do that has been really really successful is a life drawing class where we only hire strippers and we get them in pre-covid we get them to come pole dance for us and people just draw these incredible athletic strippers on a pole we have some poses that might involve like lap dancing poses we sort of tell our stories i think it allows people to sort of meet us as people breaks down stigma we and it puts money into all of our pockets so and what I feel like that does is a form of harm reduction where it's like, okay, this night, this Monday night where you could be in a strip club losing money because you still have to pay money to a club. Every night we work, we pay anywhere between 50 to like 80 pounds to the club to work. I have walked out of work before making negative money.
1: Oh, wow. They don't what, yeah. What job are you doing that you like, you think about on the other side of think, what job are you doing where you, you lose your negative after? That's insane.
0: The only other people I know who work like this is personal trainers, for example, because they have to pay the gym, right?
1: Right. Personal Ruby, I see I see you want to jump in too.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah personal no, trainers are
3: yeah. criminalized. So Yeah, I just had a question. So, you know, you want to get into any business or work to make a livelihood. So how long is somebody running negative? And what what's to say that you're you're making a choice to be like hey i keep going the negative like what are what are the alternatives what are the options there and how are often, I guess, like, how often do you have to be negative to be like i i can't i can't yeah. do this
0: um it really depends like some i mean i would be lying if i said there are girls who never go negative we all do but it's i think it's a real testament to how shitty civilian jobs are and how shitty they pay that despite all of this mistreatment stripping is still sometimes better than a civilian job I would still I miss it I would still go back like uh despite all of this I would still mitigate that over fucking writing a resume and trying to convince somebody else to having to answer to somebody else and and getting paid in not cash so that I have to pay taxes on that shit like I would still prefer stripping to that and that's not a testament to sex work that's a testament to how fucking bad civilian work is Hmm. so it's it's rough and it depends on the place where you work so not like Australia New Zealand great for stripping fucking great the clubs are pretty great I've never really heard girls complain too too much there's obviously mistreatment and mismanagement all the time It's not too bad in London and in Toronto one of the reasons it's so bad is because they are both subject to the same strangely enough the same license slash bylaw that basically says To get a sexual entertainment venue license is insanely difficult, and they've made it so that you basically can't do it anymore, which means that there's, like, this never-ending amount of shutting down of venues, but no new venues popping up. So then the people who own the clubs have a monopoly, and they have no vested interest to better their treatment of girls because there's the pool of girls just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The people who are desperate enough to work for, like, That amount of money and give you that kind of house fee is getting bigger and bigger, too. So the people like me who would be like, hey, fuck you, you can't treat me like this. They'll just fire us and not hire us back because there there's no incentive to treat us better.
1: Yeah, there's no accountability. And it sounds like a government created monopoly almost because there's no new competition popping up to encourage you to change. So why would you have to change? You can just do status quo.
0: Exactly, and the license is different from a regular alcohol license because a regular bar only has to renew their license. This is in London. I'm not really sure in Toronto or Ontario how this works because I don't fucking live here anymore. Um, You have to renew your bar slash nightclub license maybe once every three, five, sometimes ten years, depending on the kind of license you have and your seniority, right? Strip club licenses you must renew every single year. They cost hundreds of thousands of pounds how is a venue supposed to pay this if they are not scraping off our wages yeah. it comes from the top down if this license was not super super fucking expensive then maybe the clubs would not take so much money from us and if they didn't take so much money from us the girls would be less desperate and they would treat clients better instead of trying to get them drunk and rinsing them or trying to you know trap and sell, usually sell cocaine or k in the club and the like whole health of the industry would just be better But because it's so expensive, you get this knock-on effect of mismanagement and abuse. And it's just bad and unhealthy for the industry.
1: I wonder if the people that created the framework for the licensing were, you know, maybe influenced by some, you know, religious views or some sort to kind of, you know, get rid of strip clubs. Like,
0: there seems to be a
1: weird kind of parallel there. I wonder if that's a thing.
0: It, I don't know that it's religious groups, but uh, in London, I, in, in the UK, mostly, it's a particularly loud group of radical feminists who, who think that the existence of sex work is um, contributing to sexual harassment. Now, that's a Venn diagram with a lot of overlap. And I think the problem is that these people cannot see us as both victims and also consenting adults. You can be a victim of sexual abuse, and also consenting to sex work. Like I'm an adult, I can. I, I we do both. Every single sex worker is a victim of abuse, right? But like, our engagement in sex work doesn't. That doesn't actually like affect the amount of harassment we get. Like those things are like two separate issues. And trying to get rid of our ability to make a living is making our ability to escape. Harassment actually much harder, and it's these people that, for some reason, it's again, it's in their vested interest to blur the lines between the two, and misconstrue us as victims, or completely erase us out of the victim narrative. That causes this, and so the reason why licensing is really this bad right now in London is because in 2009, this feminist group was able to lobby all the councils to say. You need to redo the policing and crime act and put in this basically nil policy for licensing because the existence of strip clubs is is dirtying our streets and, and <laughs> making people sinful and horrible. and you have to get rid of them because they're they're bad for women. and and not a single stripper, obviously was was, you know, um, talked to during this process. None of them, none of us were consulted about whether or not we thought the clubs were actually, contributing to our so-called victimhood
1: so, oh man that's yeah. mind-numbingly frustrating Sam, yeah. let's let's deep dive into your your research because your research is in- incredible it certainly again um has pretty reputation taught me something and um was thought-provoking so again you delivered. so uh yeah please 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 tell us about your research and uh, yeah
4: so
0: um, the past three months of me just sitting at home in my fucking ho- like in my parents' house, in my room, taking pictures of my rectum to put on the internet has taught me a lot about the internet. So isn't that funny? I love saying it like that because like that's exactly <laughs> I,
2: I <know>. what, <laughs> and that's what I was <laughs> so laughing at. That's just the way, you <laughs> say, the way you said it. I was
0: like... <laughs> I love it! My, yeah, yeah. People on in internet are so funny. They just uh-huh. want to see what I had for breakfast. And I'm like, yes. okay.
2: <laughs> I'm literally looking oh, for
0: it. I it? <laughs> oh my God, Sam, you are uh. killing me right now. <laughs> oh, uh, all right. So like I just, that's what I've been doing, right? And then um obviously when you do things like that, you run into issues of shadow banning and censorship on platforms like Instagram, like Facebook. So I started... Right, so I'll tell you the story of how it started, because this is how it makes sense in my brain. I was approached by a Italian pole dancer. She's not a stripper. She's just a fucking civilian pole dancer. Bless her. She's very nice, but like, <laughs> I'm just like, you don't sell pussy. You're not the yeah. same. We don't like you. Um, so she started, I, don't, I, I, it's just, it's rude. I know, she knows how I feel. It's fine. I know it's rude, but whatever. She basically uh-huh. started a petition, because Instagram, December 20th, 2020, Change their terms of services and it's basically it doesn't change their views on what constitutes as nudity so women still can't show their nipples but men can very strange what about the trans women the trans men do they count we don't know um very vague oh, okay. <laughs> and you can't obviously like shove a dildo up whatever hole you have and post it on instagram that's considered explicit so that has always been like that that stays but then what has changed is what is their consideration of solicitation so if like I cannot message Jordan a saucy picture of me and go hey do you want to meet up later it might not even be like like that it might not even be like it may just be like hey Sam can you just send me a picture and then we meet up later for a coffee that is considered solicitation now because there has been some kind of saucy picture and this this wording that allows you to meet up outside the app that is what they considered solicitation now there's been no exchange of money there's no con like contextual anything there it just destroys people's ability not only to engage in safer sex work but also like flirt and hook up like that is what they consider solicitation now you isn't that what... something
2: that happens all the time What? Well, yeah that sounds so normal
0: it's, no but they consider that solicitation now so it makes that it makes the definition so much stricter because they've broadened it using their language and that creates more and more account bans shutdown of accounts people aren't allowed to get their accounts back they're not really given a reason so they this blog on poll my 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 poll answer friend started a petition and she asked me if i wanted to be on it so before they launch a petition on change.org you have a certain amount of people who co-sign on it so i did that then after that launched i got put into a group full of really angry strippers from LA. Bless their hearts. Very angry. Gotta love them. <laughs> and we started sort of doing some organizing and trying to like talk about um, certain new legislation that has been, it's been killed in Congress, but it's going to happen again, so we're trying to pay attention. And one of them went, hey, does anybody want to do some research on Section 230 and FOSTA-SESTA, the EARN IT Act, SIFIA, to sort of to share with us and try to get us some understanding of like the legislation and policy around cyber law and so i was like i'm the world's busiest unemployed person but i don't have kids i don't have shit to do i don't even make myself dinner my mom sorts that out so i have time i fucking have time so and i'm i'm a nerd at the end of the day because um i i hate to use asian stereotypes but i was raised like that so like i love being academic i love sitting down and just being a nerd and reading like academic journals i that to me is what is very exciting i could do that so i was like okay fine i'll do it so i go down this rabbit hole because it's not just internet legislation on um what what counts as like obscene content or objectionable content it's not just that it's basically i'm looking at the past present and future of the internet as we know it and a lot of the policies currently that they're pushing forward that are enroaching on things like encryption on privacy on like data mining and all that stuff is done under the guise of saving the children so trying to get rid of um, child sex abuse material on the internet we're not going to call it child pornography i'll get into that in a second but child child sex abuse material csam and then trafficking this is their two pillars that they stand on they're trying to they think censoring the internet will somehow get rid of these two things and they don't surprise surprise what do you
1: mean there's just no magic silver bullet that could just solve it all i, know. I mean, we can just legislate anything it'll solve everything
0: shocking and so basically what happened is i just wanted to take pictures of my butthole and post it on the <laughs> internet and now i'm doing the work of the fbi i didn't sign up for this <laughs> And so that's kind of taken me for three months. I've been doing tons and tons and tons of research and reading and like attending lectures. And it's continuous because the changes and innovations that we see in technology and in cyber law are ever changing. Um, And it's been really, really interesting. And I've been trying to, I suppose, make this part of my advocacy as well, because I think it's very it's interesting to me that regular civilian use the internet and they have no idea what the legal ramifications are of what they do.
1: I'm, I'm surprised you were able to read through the terms of service because that thing is like a bible like it, they're, mm. they're thick and for you to be able to go through that and pull out stuff is a testament. It's to hilarious
0: like you can't yeah. technically using the eggplant emoji and the peach emoji now counts as soliciting.
1: Really? Isn't that funny? Wow yeah. a lot of people learn a lot of trouble Kids.
0: Yeah, people are getting in trouble 100%. I mean, this also asks questions of like should people who are under the age of 18 be allowed on these apps? Probably not, but they're going to be. And the reason why platforms don't kick them off is because they are easily monetized.
1: Are are, are you, but is isn't this just some way to like for Instagram to separate itself from like a dating app like Tinder or something like that? Like
0: No, it's basically them covering their asses because I don't think this is like Facebook policies fault. Do I think that they have some accountability here? Obviously, but they have these really strict terms of service because they are afraid of their legal liability. What section 230 um, says, which is kind of responsible for the internet as we know it. I mean, it's not like Canadian law, but it's American law and we all use American sites. So we have no choice but to abide by these policies. Section 230 basically says that, Internet service providers, platforms, and websites are not liable for the content their third-party users post. It also gives them legal protection from whatever the consequences of their moderation are. It lets them basically set their own rules for um, content moderation, right? So that has basically protected like sites like YouTube and Facebook because otherwise they'd be drowning in lawsuits constantly, yeah. right? And so it's like a double-edged sword. Like this law has allowed things like revenge porn sites and snuff film sites to exist and like fucking actual nazi sites but then it also protects like our freedom of speech because this is allows allows um, innovation to happen and like these are really important conversations that about sensitive topics that otherwise you would probably get sued for defamation for um where was i going with this anyway that was that is like response for the internet as we know it and it's relevant to sex workers because Facebook and Instagram are now worried about now what constitutes as like what they can be held legally liable for because of all these extra policies that are kind of like carve outs that are trying to poke holes in section 230. And so, they're Yeah. So they're worried about their legal liability, which is why they change their terms of services to kick off more and more and more ability for having sort of sexually perverse content
1: so how are they going about enforcing these things because i I know that you know they they use algorithms and stuff to to, you know to 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 serve up the content are they fiddling around with algorithms in the back end to 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 tamper this stuff down
0: yeah so i mean how some of their bots and how their moderation works obviously it, it comes down to two things who's reporting it and if something just gets reported they take it down immediately because like And you'd you'd have to, like, you'd have to basically appeal and have an actual human look at it before you could get something reposted. That's one thing. But the other thing is they just have these algorithms, not actual people, looking at their content and trying to flag out what for them looks like um, solicitation. So that might be you know a bare butt that also might look like anybody who says link in bio who's trying to like link to an other site or link outside of that or any words like sex is censored um fucking like stripper is censored for a while there the hashtag woman was censored but you could still click on the what? hashtag. Me- yeah yeah what? yeah and then like separately what i think is also like an important thing like a, bend, a compounding issues of marginalization happening for all of um blm during 2020 the black lives matter hashtag was censored like you could get shadow banned what? for that or taken down because yes because what? instagram's algorithm was picking that up as what they their their reasoning for this is that because so many people started using that hashtag it flagged up their spam sensors. i don't think that's the case I don't think that's the case at all. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but this is one of those things where I'm like, okay, the issue is actually a lot worse than we think it is. So all these compounding factors of now people who are sex workers, who are also people of color, who are black, who are trans, who are queer, they're getting all their hashtags censored or taken off. You are much more likely to be taken off the like banned from Instagram for posting about like hashtag LGBTQ than you are for anything else, really there's like statistics on this where like the most banned like hashtag or the people who experience the most amount of censorship are people in the gay community. Um, and yeah, so this, I mean, it's a bigger question of like algorithmic bias and who, who gets to decide like who gets to monetize on their sites? Like I don't actually think a singular person or singular algorithm should be able to decide that for us. Um, it's a problem it's like a big problem and it's again this is like an ongoing part of my research
4: we'll see what happens
1: oh <laughs> uh, we'll go to ross and then ruby
4: do you see um similar bans for other groups like i don't know white nationalist groups or or anything else like that hmm. so the reason anybody knows
0: about like any civilian would know about shadow banning is because white national groups and like just people who support trump and hate groups and far right get banned for this stuff for like hate speech because hello of course they're literally organizing to terrorize they organize the capital riots through social media like that was allowed to happen because of that and they're screaming oh you like you know their first amendment rights you can't shadow ban us freedom of speech and i'm like mm, this is this is sort of like the hard part it's like where do you draw the line between what you're doing which is putting actual lives in danger. But then the second somebody goes, oh, <laughs> hey, maybe we should attend this protest. It's for trans pride, blah, 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 blah. Make sure you're safe, make sure you're this, hashtag trans pride. Why does that person get immediately flagged and taken down? And that's also a bigger question of like policing, over-policing of certain communities, of why do we see one group as, and give them the benefit of the doubt for whether or not they are not safe, versus another group, especially when you look at context for those things. Um, yeah, they they have to have like they have skin in the game. They one hundred percent do as well. But I I think they're personally I think they're engaging in far more harmful behavior than me wanting to sell pictures of my butthole on the internet. You
3: know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Ruby, I saw that you, you had your hand up. Did you want to jump in with a question?
3: Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about shadow banning is, you know, it's happening from a North American perspective and what censorship is. But could you also just imagine the more conservative, conservative countries like uh, a lot of Asian countries, yeah. specifically, I would speak of India, where I don't even think any of those words would have even like I think immediately they'd be like banned. So, just interesting um, from that perspective as well on a global scale, um, where you would take censorship and thoughts around uh, any kind of sexual, um, anything to do related with the sex industry or even saying the word sex, like it's it's just insane. I mean I think a lot
0: about this in terms of the Hong Kong protests right and how the protesters there were organizing and how for like this happened before BLM and then after a lot of American protesters and in the western world were taking cues from how brilliantly I think the Hong Kong t- protesters were dealing with this and for them censorship is an is ha- like has even more at stake because the Chinese government is watching you. The <laughs> CCP real. are fucking terrifying. And like, I, I mean, there's obviously concentric circles here and like that's a Venn diagram with like a lot of overlap. Um, but I think if, if society sort of listened to, I think the canary in the coal mines, which have always been sex workers, particularly um, the most marginalized of them. So queer sex workers, sex workers of color, then we might not be in a position where regular, normal people have to delete their Facebook, have to delete their like entire sort of digital footprint. And when they go to protests, only communicate via Signal or Telegram or Bluetooth messages. Or even at one point, somebody was like, we have to message through Pokemon Go because oh, we are you can't trust encrypted messages talk about the
1: last refuge pokemon go wow i
0: know um or the fact that i'm i'm actually pretty sure that like the current protests in india for like the farmers like those hashtags are being watched or again with like a lot of this is like it's not data mining it's like when people it's like when third-party services scrape websites for like just like mass amounts of data for people's identification and so this is how they arrested tons of blm protesters because they were basically like okay who's using the hashtag yeah let's let's just use that to start watching them and surveil them and then and then make your arrests like that's that's a that's a terrible way to organize law enforcement that's just yeah but they're utilizing these tools to like their advantage um and i think that social media platforms and big tech have a lot to answer for like you are the ones who have cultivated this data you've made it public and you've allowed it to become a political tool against people so I'd actually think it'd be really interesting to hear like what you guys think from a tech perspective, a lot of the algorithmic bias stuff, because I think about it in like a socioeconomic way, like, how does this impact real people? But for people who work in tech, obviously, they think about it technically. And it's like, I have no idea. Like, I, I wish
4: I wish I had studied coding. I would have been in a much better place right now.
2: <laughs> That's
4: exactly what it is. It's that a lot of the people that are making these algorithms have no idea what your experience is or or, or, or they don't have friends who have experiences like this. And so a lot of the time, it's just like cis, straight, white men that are making this and and like, oh, well my mom has raised me to think that sex work is bad, that all of these, whatever else is bad and they're bad. So we're just gonna put this into this code. There's no one else on this team who has had an, an experience that was different than mine. No one is going to object to what I'm writing into this. We all have buy-in. Everyone's agreed. This is what we're going to put in. This is bad. This is it done.
2: Years ago, I used to work and I was in the security portion. And one of the things that we used to do is me and this other guy, we wrote this out. We wrote this this thing to look at all the traffic that was going through. Then we made target words that would catch people going to these specific sites. Okay. So these words were words that maybe people from our team gave us so that we put it into this database so that when it comes up on the on the url we would take that that information after that it would give the top 25 or depending on what the search that we we did and then it gives you a list of people and where they and where they went my job every morning from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock was to go through those sites and see if they were really bad sites or not and then give that that top 10 list to, to hr they had to move my office from being out in the open to sitting into the, the back of the office in a little cubicle looking at these porn sites for, for two hours a day. You got paid money to look at porn for two hours a day? <laughs> yeah. It became, Fucking amazing. it became sick. It became sick. If you do that every day, yeah. it's not, it's, it, you're, you're going to be uh, kind of sick of it after, after a while. That would explain a lot um, about you, Mike. But it- <laughs> What does
4: that explain? <laughs> yeah. Actually, never mind.
2: But those. <laughs> those I, I didn't hear you. I'm gonna look back on the on the recording. But but what was deemed sexual or what was deemed that had to be in the bucket so that that would be caught wasn't a big consensus of of everybody. And I don't I don't think our our experience of doing it is much different than what they're doing, right? A lot of the things that you were talking about, you know, the legislations that were being made. It sounds like it's made by people that don't know about the trade, right? Or even people that are making these these um, security rules, they don't know about the, the, the trade either, right? And we, we covered this in previous yeah.
1: episodes too about legislators. They don't understand technology. They don't get it at all. And they're the ones yeah. making the rules.
0: It's yeah. very, it's very, very backwards. And again, this is part of the problem where um, I don't actually think tech has the answer to these things. I don't think legislation has the answer to these things either because they treat it from either the criminal perspective or the technical perspective. If you just get humans to moderate all this content, you will start breeding like insane amounts of people who need a lot of very expensive therapy after they've been looking at just all kinds of content all day long. It's not realistic to get platforms to have human moderators. It's the, the turnover rate is incredibly high and the pay is not enough like they, they for all the millions of dollars they're worth. It's actually not financially feasible to do that. So that's why people are like, okay, we need to make enough algorithms and we need to make AI better for this. But I'm like, yeah, but you're making AI that is just biased racist and sexist and lots of other isms like Mm. it's not you're not doing your job and then legislators again they don't know what the fuck they're doing either and they're just playing whack-a-mole at this point like they are not even scraping the surface for how much nefarious content that is actually criminal is going on um the, the agreement between a lot of tech professionals who work in um content moderation especially around trafficking and child abuse kind of Agree that the current only preventative measure that actually works is to have a really robust um, sexual education and consent curriculum. Like you have to teach kids from the youngest age possible about their own bodies and about consent and what is okay and what isn't. And that, and and also foster an environment where if something does happen, that they feel comfortable enough to tell somebody about it. Because currently, it's just all hush hush, and then that's that's where like the cycle just continues. So it's. It's a lot. Oh my god! Oh yeah.
1: I'm like, Sam. How does human trafficking and exploitation kind of fit into all this with these social platforms?
0: So, my research took me down a rabbit hole, and my rabbit hole told me that the passing of, for example, FOSTA-SESTA, which is passed, but then other legislation around, let's say, the Earned Act and CISIA, which are all trying to attack different parts of Section 230 legal liability. Fosta sesta says, OK, you can have your legal protections against third party user content except for when it is found to have knowingly supported, facilitated or um, yeah, or anything to do with sex trafficking. They don't make any distinction between trafficking and consensual sex work. The actual bill, the language says consent is always irrelevant when determining if the crime of sex trafficking has occurred, which is mind-blowing to me because consent is the only thing that is relevant in that conversation. (laughs) It's shocking. And so, like, I mean, this passed in 2018, and we have stats from the past couple years of how, actually, it's not helped trafficking at all. It's just made consensual sex work a lot less safe because it's pushed visibility down. You've taken away people's ability to advocate for themselves online and so they're pushed out into the streets you've taken down sites where maybe sex trafficking wasn't actually happening or even prostitution it was just a big one of the biggest sites was something someone who made a site to basically have a bad date list for sex workers so people would just post on the forum be like hey don't go out with this guy here's his number here's his picture he's abusive he won't pay Blah 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 that's a safety measure people take Or like, for example, like I can't use Instagram now to, let's say, text Roz and be like, hey, I have a client in two hours time. If I don't text you back, you need to conduct a welfare check because something's happened to me that consists that is technically you supporting and facilitating sex trafficking now. So it's not necessarily you who's liable. It's Facebook Messenger if we decide
1: to do it on there facebook wow. liable. so oh. they won't let that happen holy i had no idea that's crazy and these like are, that's that's just common sense like tell someone where you're going so that you could be safe like yeah
2: why is, wouldn't you want to help that
0: exactly these are basic safety measures but they're it's under the guise of stop like st- stopping sex trafficking like that's what FOSTA stands for the fight fight against like sex trafficking act like that's what that stands for um the Earn it Act also says, basically, they're attacking encryption because they think that tons and tons of child sex abuse is happening on encrypted messages. They're not wrong, but they're wrong in the You can tell people who don't work in tech are making these laws because I'm like, you can't <laughs> outlaw an algorithm. You don't think people who are actually criminals aren't using a third-party service to encrypt their shit anyway? Making Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and Signal give you a backdoor into encrypted messages for law enforcement does not stop the crime from happening and so it made me go to this giant rabbit hole going okay what is what actually causes trafficking and what causes like child sex abuse which are like heavy again heavy topics i shouldn't have to be the one to research these things i'm not a professional i just want to show my butt on the internet why do i have to do this But now I have to. And like those two pillars, again, sex trafficking and trafficking. People aren't actually really sex trafficked. Like the idea that like this Liam Neeson and Taken version of like people kidnapping like little girls, little white girls off like the suburbs to sell on Wayfair. is That's not, there's no evidence. (laughs) No, seriously, there's no evidence that that has ever actually happened. It's like this crazy stranger danger, moral panic that we have. And people like lose their rational thinking minds. Like,, with what happened in Wayfair, I find that so interesting during, again, people were in the lockdown. It was the pandemic, so people were kind of crazy, theories, yeah, but I'm like, just think about it for a second. Why would someone go through the trouble of kidnapping a child, then keeping them alive, then selling them in a box of furniture to somebody on a website? That's not how trafficking happens. And what most trafficking looks like. Not sex trafficking, but human trafficking looks like is black and brown people who don't really speak that much English being smuggled across borders because they're trying to find a better life and then forced to work on farms or for like long haul trucking industries. Or, for example, a big one in London that I've noticed is a lot of Vietnamese and Southeast Asian people are trafficked in of their own accord. They're not being like kidnapped and taken away. Like, nobody, nobody like is like. Nobody is like beaten down and like put into a like, a like coma in Cambodia and then waking up in Denver. Like, that's not how they don't put them is. in
1: burlap sack bags and seal that's them how... up and send no. people over.
0: are they being put into like horrible conditions, like packed onto a truck or packed onto a boat and trying to like like go across? Yes, of course, that happens. But they're doing it to because their conditions in their home countries are so much worse. And then they're forced to work in places like, for example, this is a real situation in nail salons in South London. I've had my nails done before. I'll never do it again there where I've had my nails done for 10 pounds. That's the equivalent of 20 Canadian dollars. It still takes two hours. It's in that tiny little shitbox where you're just I've sat there and I thought and did the math of how long it takes to get my nails done and how much I'm paying for it. And I'm like, how is this paying for anything? And then you look a little deeper and you realize these people are having their passports being held at like, you know, being held hostage, their migrant status isn't like clear, they don't really speak any English. A lot of these people, especially the women in those situations, while you're already being trafficked, you engage in sex work to survive because that's the only way you can top up the money because there's no way doing nails for two hours at a time being paid 10 pounds is paying for anything they're usually paying off a debt at that point. Wow. This is how most trafficking happens, right? Um
1: yeah. Ruby. Ruby's Can on a jump your,
3: I wanted your thoughts on like and I'm going to just speak from a like Indian perspective is in a lot of rural rural um towns and places people actually sell their daughters. Um they sell their daughters and those daughters go into the sex trade and and into traffic trafficking. So it's just interesting to get your perspective on that because I didn't think about it from the way you said it like they're just you know being mobile mobilized uh, moved around to other locations for other kind of work and then end up getting into um, sex work um
0: I personally I, I like to go by the rule where when it comes to specific cultural practices as someone who is not from that culture I don't attempt to go into that space and try to tell them how to live their lives but the problem with sort of with actually selling your daughters for specifically for sex trafficking which does happen in South Asia that is all an outgrowth of vulnerability you don't think that if these families did not have other options that they wouldn't do that or that if they weren't sort of culturally sort of conditioned into thinking that their daughters were sort of worthless and this is like broadly speaking, Asian as well, where, like, we worship son number one, but our daughters are worthless. That comes from, like, a long-standing culture of, like, dowries and, um, again, deeply ingrained misogyny. But a lot of it, at the end of the day, is an outgrowth of, of vulnerability and poverty. And so, like, if you want to solve sex trafficking or you happen to be a sex work abolitionist, which I think a lot of us are, even people who engage in sex work, like, basically would like the industry to stop being people who have to do it and more just people who actually genuinely like doing it. But if you wanted to stop that, you have to address the things that um, that cause vulnerability. And so you have to address you have to address homelessness, you have to address like um, a welfare system, you have to address like capitalism at large and whether or not why people work so much of their lives and cannot pay for things. You have to like, like, these are all the things you have to address if you actually want to stop it. It's like a massive, massive issue. Um, what I would say is I would, I mean, in regards to that, I don't think criminalizing, which it probably is, I'm not sure, but this might be how people see it. I'm not sure criminalizing parents or the daughters who get into this or even the pimps would actually help. You would have to address the root cause of like, okay, why is this person selling their daughter? To feed themselves, they need they need better access to like, to um all kinds of resources. They just give them money. They need to be able to pay their rent. Like that's that really is the answer to the question. Kind of how when people ask me, I'm like, okay, well, is trafficking always going to happen? And like, how do you stop trafficking? I'm like, if you want to stop trafficking, you have to get rid of international borders. And since you're not going to do that, you need to in reinstate harm-reductive policy. And resources for these people. It has to be easier for migrants to access their rights without being deported. Mm, There's like a law in like um or like a specific visa in the US. Um, and I think it probably as people who work in tech, you probably see this a lot where it's like a green card, but that green card is linked to a singular job. And so you get a lot of people who work in IT, particularly who are South Asian, who get into California, into or Texas, wherever they are in their tech jobs, but they only get to keep their green card if they stay with that employer. Mm-hmm. So that employer can now just that they have no incentive to treat this person
1: exploitation. Mostly. It's time. Yeah, it just that would be the green light for exploitation. Because you're and so
0: yeah, exactly. So you have no idea when you go to that country, if the job you are being told you're gonna do is actually the job that you're gonna do, you might just be working on a farm, even though you signed up for an IT job, you have no idea. You just go there. But now you're stuck because you're like, you can't go back to your home country. You paid so much money to be here. What do you do in this situation? That's to me, that's what trafficking actually looks like. That that the bureaucratic state of that actual visa in and of itself like is supporting and proliferating trafficking. You're being like held up to like bonded labor. You have no choice. You have to stick with this employer. And if you want to change employers, no visa for you anymore. That's such a weird system to work in. And this is true of farm work. This is true of IT. This is true of beauty. A lot of uh, restaurants, restaurants and bars are huge, like huge numbers of people are trafficked in that situation. Um, and then the other, like, again, I'm not saying that people don't, aren't sex trafficked. People are, but like, it doesn't look like Liam Neeson in Taken. What it looks like, Is children, particularly queer kids, lots of it happens within um, the gay community, where you run away from home because of lots of different reasons. Again, all this is outgrowth of vulnerability. Maybe you live in an abusive situation or your parents have kicked you out. You have fucking zero self esteem because you're 16, you're gay, and you've been spewed at with like hatred for your whole life. And you get pushed into the arms of people who might not have your best interests at heart. You might get a boyfriend or, um, you know, somebody who's much older. You want to like make them proud. You want to make them love you. And they start saying things like, oh, maybe we should have a threesome sometime. Maybe one day when we have this threesome, I don't participate. You have no idea if money has been exchanged in those situations. You actually don't know if you've been trafficked, but that's what a lot of it looks
1: like. Wow. And that's that's like, that seems like it's like seamless. Like you wouldn't even, if you were in that vulnerable state, you wouldn't even recognize that that's even happening. Um, wow. Uh, I know raw Roz- is, You know you had some more questions why don't you why don't you jump in
4: yeah um, i just wanted to ask like what can we do to support laws and bills being passed in order to support people that are sex workers and to make it the world more safe for everyone
0: i always think again because it's so this is such a huge issue like people like it, it feels very overwhelming i have like existential crises all the time about this um it starts locally. It starts at home. And so um, for everybody in Toronto or in Ontario, I work with an organization called Maggie's, Maggie's Toronto. They were started in 1986. They're basically Canada's biggest coalition of sex workers. And they, again, they engage in lots of harm-reductive practices. Maybe they're not lobbying Parliament to to change a law or repeal anything, But what they're trying to do is make people who are already engaging in sex work safer so they offer things for example one of the most important things they offer currently is a um i think in order to get um approved for a sex change for people who are trans you need to have like there's a lot of paperwork you have to go through you need to have had like references right and so they offer Um, counselors who do that, who will be a reference for that so that you can uh, access your medical care safer. Or they offer like currently, uh, which I think is really, really important, a um, black sex worker fund, an emergency fund basically for COVID because everybody has been out of work and no one is more vulnerable than the black trans community because they already don't get hired at strip clubs. They already don't get hired at agencies they're even more precarious and a lot of them don't have access to like family support and so they've been giving out grants so things like donating to that or just like getting involved in what they're doing is really 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 helpful um but not it just starts with like grassroots organizations like you, it just starts locally one of the biggest things i think that needs to change in canada is that we use the nordic model for our prostitution rights so the nordic model basically says the sex workers aren't criminalized, but the clients are. Which in hindsight you'd think, okay, that makes sense. That saves that that must save the, the girls from Yeah, being... it sounds like it would. But it doesn't, because that means that the only clientele that we get are people who are willing to be criminals. So the people who would oh holy yeah <laughs> it means Wait you can no, yeah it means you can no longer operate in like a public way so going to a hotel is no longer it's feasible it has you have to, to drive go it to down. like alleyways where you have to follow this person in their car it means that the clientele you get are now much more dangerous it also means that you get less clientele you get less money that doesn't help anybody and so i think one of the one of the biggest things like one of the sort of legal battles in canada is to repeal the nordic model and just set it to decriminalization god knows if that'll ever happen we'll see it's very hard once you in state policy it is very hard to get rid of it
2: I have one more. Sorry, okay, no, okay. Yeah, I Uncle have Mike. Uncle jump in there. More. Um, explain to me about circus work.
0: Oh, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you said you're a
2: circus worker. Um,
0: so I uh, have been. I've always been active. Jordan knows this as well because I'm always hanging around the hoops and the bars in um, boxing. We have ropes as well. Um, so yeah. I've been training lots of sort of aerial um skills for a while just because I like it I have a dance background as well I' Sam's training- built
1: by the way she's completely built like if you see her she's like a little like gymnast Like, she's d's
0: um I've been I don't have obviously access to those things right now so I've been training contortion when I graduated uni like literally the week I handed my dissertation contortion. In, I w- saw an advertisement for casting um in nightclubs in mm-hmm. London and the nightclubs in London are pretty different from toronto like you can go to a nightclub in london and see circus acts because that's what they have to do to keep people okay. sat at a booth drinking all night <laughs> I, have to, I have to be like a dance for me monkey like i have to do that so i went to an audition um they took me immediately and that's it like i graduated uni and immediately just i literally ran away with the circus so i work for a nightclub <laughs> in london that provides circus work so for two years two like blissful years of my life. Among along with doing sort of like agency stripping, so I stopped working for clubs. I just um, would strip for like bachelor parties or like birthdays. Or my favorite story is I stripped for a baby shower. What?
2: <laughs> 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 what? Why would
1: you just a stripper on a baby shower?
0: I'm telling you, men. I like we talk about. I talk a lot about ah fuck men. I hate men, but I don't really hate men because men are fucking funny, right? They will take any excuse to have a baby shower their birthday jesus's birthday jesus's death they don't give a shit any any opportunity to have a stripper so we got hired me and a couple girls got hired to um basically do a gig for like some fairly like well-off expats so they had like a swanky hotel booked they all did architecture in like hong kong and a couple other places and one of their buddies was about to have a baby and so they're like hey this poker night could use some strippers mm. so we show up with some diapers and a binky and we like force the like the to be dad to like wear a binky and like crawl around in a diaper all day it was really funny and I just sat there going like oh my god I'm stripping for a baby shower right now this is hilarious <laughs> like why would you need a stripper in a baby shower they're so funny but it's that's just I just love them they were just they were quite funny it was <laughs> great but so, like along with doing that I started working um and performing burlesque and performing for um fetish parties and just doing things like basically hanging around flying around on a hoop or like a trapeze or a pole um and it was two blissful years until the pandemic hit and it was great that was my life like four or five nights a week
1: well sam what's your what's your instagram because like people are going to want to see your your contortionist act i've i've seen some of the stuff i've messaged you like how the hell can you do this? Like, it is, it's mind-blowing.
0: I just want to be a circle. That's my life goal. <laughs> <laughs> <A circle. laughs> um, my Instagram is samantha.sun with two S's. So Um And you can find all my work there, hopefully, until Instagram bans me one day. Who knows? <sighs> Who knows at this it. point? Wow. Yeah. Immediately after this podcast, Dr. works like, this. we've yeah. had enough uh, of this uh, bitch. That's it. She
1: said yeah. too much.
2: <laughs> Sam,
1: I, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Um, you are the real deal. Um, like I said, I, I cherish people that are able to teach me things that are able to, you know, enlighten me the things and you definitely have done that. So thank you again. I, I wish you all the best of luck. I hope you stay safe during the pandemic. Um, hopefully we'll get another chance to work out soon because you are awesome at holding pads for, uh, for my tall ass. So, <laughs>
0: so tall. I've always like my hands up like this. All right, Jordan. Shab cross.
1: <laughs> Oh, man. She's amazing. She's she's definitely one of my favorite partners. So, Sam, thank you again. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so, so much.
3: Thank you. This was so
0: fun. Yeah, I feel like you. I just, like, talked the whole time and nobody ever had any input.
1: I feel bad. No, no, no. You didn't. You didn't. That's exactly why you're here, yeah? Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for this to come out.
1: Yay. This has been the Technically Diverse Podcast. Remember to hit subscribe on whichever app you prefer to get your podcast. You can also connect with us on various social platforms. On Twitter, you can follow us at TechnicallyD. On Instagram, you can follow us at Technically diverse. Or if you prefer to watch, subscribe to our YouTube channel that shares the same name, Technically diverse. We also love getting feedback and ideas, so if there's anything you'd like to see, you can send us an email to technicallydiverse at gmail.com.